0: Hello everyone, we're in Psalm 91, 16 verses. This psalm actually has no title. The author of this psalm was sure that there is security in trusting God. He was sure that he would be delivered from the enemy's attacks by trusting in the Mighty One. Verses 1 and 2. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress my god in whom i trust
1: the psalmist was confident that he was dwelling with god where he would be safe and full of strength he stresses that the power of god through the names of god the most high and almighty showing that his confidence was well placed verses 3 through 6 sorry 3 through 8 for it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night, or of the arrow that flies by day, of the pestilence that stalks in darkness, or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked."
0: The psalmist gives various situations where the believer in God should simply not fear, because God delivers. In all of these situations, we are under His protective and faithful wings, which are an impenetrable defense. He delivers from traps, disease, night terrors, and destruction. Enemies will fall by the tens of thousands, and we will see God's judgment of the wicked. There is no limit on what God can do. He has full authority over all things.
1: What are pinions?
0: Opinions. I think they have to do with feathers. Oh,
1: okay.
0: Now, why is this important? Does this actually happen? Yes, but not in the way most people think. Most only think of the physical. While this protection does happen occasionally, physically, it is not 100% of the time. Sometimes God allows a Christian to fall. But no matter what, the Christian is never lost to the enemy. Our salvation is solely in the secure hands of God, and no one can take that away. So, we are secure in God, no matter the situation around us, even if death comes to take us. Verses 9-13 For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. For He will give His angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways they will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone you will tread upon the lion and cobra the young lion and the serpent you will trample down
1: we see here that those that trust in God as their refuge will not be disappointed no evil will befall them that is not first permitted by God He will commission his angels to protect and guard you. One of the missions of angels is to protect God's children. They protect us from harmful things that we will not know about until we get to heaven and ask them. The psalmist says that the believer can walk through the most dangerous situations, an example he gave was lions and cobras, and yet still be safe with God on our side. Some believe that the lion represents open violence while the snake represents deception. In either case, there's no danger to the believer when he trusts in God. He knows that everything is in God's plan. Now, please note that those times of danger and difficulty do not escape the believer, but he or she has confidence in the Lord when they do happen. Also, the thought of it being a temporary danger and difficulty We have eternal security. And so even if temporary things happen to us, we have an eternal hope of being in God's presence. We see verses 11 through 12 being used by Satan in the temptation against Jesus in Matthew 4, 6. It was a temptation for Jesus to act out on his own, outside of God's plan and will. Verses 14 to 16. Because he has loved me... Therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high, because he has, sh- he has known my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation.
0: The psalmist ends the psalm as if writing from God's perspective, affirming the faith of the believer. Notice the blessings he brings to the believer that loves him. He confirms he will set on high, answer, be with, rescue, honor, and give this person long life so he can see the glory and salvation of God. Now These are all incredible blessings for those that love God. Psalm 92, 15 verses, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. This psalm is also anonymously written. It seems to be a song that was to be sung weekly on the Sabbath day celebration. The focus of the psalm is praising God for his goodness. Verses 1-3 through It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness by night, with the ten-stringed lute and with the harp, with resounding music upon the lyre.
1: The psalm begins by proclaiming that it is a good thing to give thanks to God and to praise his name with songs. Through these praises, he could tell of God's faithfulness and love all day. It is good indicates that praising God is good, appropriate, and pleasant. God is pleased when we bring him praise. It's also interesting to note that even when the psalm was written, it was establishing the custom of meeting together and singing together in worshiping the Lord. We still do that in solid churches. We gather together and we worship through praising Him, through singing. Verses four through seven. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by what you have done. I will sing for joy at the works of your hands. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. A senseless man has no knowledge, nor does a stupid man understand this, that when the wicked sprouted up like grass, and all who did iniquity flourished, it was only that they might be destroyed forevermore.
0: The psalmist continues to tell of God's faithful works. God's thoughts are incredibly deep, much deeper than we can think with our finite minds. He has all knowledge and knows all possibilities. This is an attribute to praise. Our God is great. The fool is stupefied before his knowledge. The word senseless in verse 6, ba'ar, means, that's the Hebrew word, that that wasn't just a random word saying there, uh, means that this person is like an animal in their behavior. They do not want to understand the truth. They want to dwell in their evil ways. The wicked are like blades of grass that are allowed to flourish only so they can be cut down. Verses 8 and 9. But you, O Lord are on high forever. For, behold your enemies, O Lord. For, behold your enemies will perish. All who do iniquity will be scattered.
1: The Lord will rule over all forever. There is no enemy that can stop him. This is very important because absolutely no one and nothing can stop God's plan. This should give us reason to praise him. Evil will be defeated and removed in God's time. Verses 10 and 11. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. I have been anointed with fresh oil, and my eye has looked exultantly upon my foes. My ears hear of the evildoers who rise up against me.
0: Horns are a symbol of strength often in the Bible. We see that in Psalm 89, verse 17, and also Psalm 112, verse 9. So God granted the psalmist strength. Uh, The oil was a sign of festivity or a restoration. The righteous would be lifted up and they would see their enemies whom God would take care of. Verses 12 to 15. The righteous man will flourish like a palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still yield fruit in old age. They shall be full of sap and very green, To declare that the Lord is upright, He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in Him.
1: Instead of grass, the righteous will be like a strong tree that will be planted in the house of the Lord and will flourish there. The righteous are grounded in the only place they can flourish, in the presence of the Almighty God. Even in old age, they will still give fruits of righteousness and praise God for His faithfulness, justice that's upright, protection, our rock and holiness no unrighteousness he alone is righteous in his rule and reliable to those that trust him all right moving on to psalm 93 we've got 5 verses and there's actually no title with this psalm the psalm is a type of enthronement psalm which basically means it celebrates god's rule on earth it emphasizes his sovereignty and also gives prophetic pictures of what is still to come where god will rule over all forever through the Messiah. This psalm's author is also anonymous. Uh, This is the first in a group of psalms, psalms 93 to 100, that explore the same theme of God as ruler over all. Verses 1 and 2. The Lord reigns. He is clothed with with majesty. The Lord has clothed and girded himself with strength. Indeed, The world is firmly established. It will not be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting.
0: The Lord reigns, even now. He is over the entire universe. His reign has not physically come to earth, but it will. He is full of majesty, beauty, and strength. His throne is established from ancient times, even before there was time. Enemies may try to put up a fight, but ultimately they will fail. Verses 3 and 4. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their pounding waves. More than the sounds of many waters, than the mighty breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty.
1: God is greater than the raging seas, no matter their strength, height, or depth. The oceans are a force of nature that are under God's complete control. Some believe this verse in particular was an argument against Baalism. Worshippers of Baal believed that he had attained his power through conquering Prince Yam, or the sea. Okay, we're going to finish up with verse 5. Your testimonies are fully confirmed. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore.
0: The Lord is full of holiness. Now remember that is perfect righteousness or or morally perfect. This sets God apart from all other creation and all made-up gods and false gods. He's perfect in righteousness. And since He is holy, only He has the right to set up the perfect standard to be followed. Now, this is important. An important aspect here is that this king is not in some other universe or land. It's not deism, which is the thought that God created the world and then let it spin on his own. He decided to make his house here on earth with us. He desires to be with his creation despite our rebellions. Praise the name of the Lord for his greatness and majesty. Praise him for his faithfulness and love. Praise him. Psalm 94. 23 verses, no title, uh, this anonymously written psalm shows that vengeance does belong to the Lord. He calls on the Lord, the psalmist, to pour out his vengeance, God's vengeance, on the proud who oppress the righteous. Verses 1-3, through three. O Lord, God of vengeance, God of vengeance shined forth, rise up, O judge of the earth, render recompense to the proud. How long shall the wicked, O Lord, how long shall the wicked exalt?
1: The psalmist calls God for vengeance. We must remember that sin is first against God and that only He is worthy of passing judgment. He is the only holy, perfect standard, the only omnipotent. He has power to judge. He alone is omniscient and and by that we mean he knows all circumstances and motives surrounding sin. He is all-knowledgeable. He is sovereign. Everything is under his control. And he is creator. That means he has the right to judge his creations. So he is the only one that is qualified. The psalmist asks God to repay the prideful and wicked for their acts. The author asks, How long will they be allowed to oppose God? Many times we ask ourselves this question, but we can be assured God will judge in His time, in His way, and in the correct degree. This is not vengeance for the sake of getting back, it is justice for evil. Verses 4 through 7 They pour forth words, they speak arrogantly. All who do wickedness vaunt themselves. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the orphans. They have said, The Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob pay heed.
0: The wicked are arrogant, boasting about oppressing the people of God and killing widows, strangers, and orphans, which these are considered the needy in society. They basically don't care. The wicked committed these acts thinking God would not see them or judge them. They imagined his being absent from the universe, that he wasn't paying attention. Verses 8 through 11. Pay heed, you senseless among the people, and when you understand stupid ones. He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who chastens the nations, will he not rebuke? Even he who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are a mere breath.
1: So the author now addresses the wicked and their foolishness. His questions are awesome, showing that the Creator can do all that man can do and a lot more. He can and does hear and see all. He created the ability for man to do both he disciplines and judges the peoples of the world what's more he knows even the very thoughts of man verses 12 through 15. blessed is the man whom you chasten o lord and whom you teach out of your law that you may grant him relief from the days of adversity until a pit is dug for the wicked for the lord will not abandon his people nor will he forsake his inheritance For judgment will again be righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it.
0: The righteous are disciplined for their sin, and are blessed when it happens. The question often comes up, how is discipline a blessing? Well, for one, it is proof of childhood. God only disciplines His children. We see this in Hebrews 12.16. Secondly, It is our call to become more like Christ by abandoning sin and developing a character that is more like His, and discipline paves the way for this. The righteous can rest on God, even when they are oppressed, because a pit is being dug for the wicked. God has a plan to repay and judge the wicked. The psalmist knew, and we should too, that God will never abandon His people. He is always faithful and he will always judge justly against sin. The righteous can rest on his word. Verses 16 to 19. Who will stand up for me against evil doers? Who will take his stand for me against those who do wickedness? If the Lord has not had not been my help, my soul would have soon dwelt in the abode of silence. If I should say my foot has slipped, Your loving kindness, O Lord, will hold me up. When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul.
1: The only consolation the psalmist has is God's protection. God is the only one that is truly just and truly able to judge correctly. He knew his security came from the Lord who loved him. Despite worry, God consoled the author to delight in the Lord. We can do the same. Verses 20-23 to Can a throne of destruction be allied with you, one which devises mischief by decree? They band themselves together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has been my stronghold, and my God the rock of my salvation, the rock of my refuge. He has brought back their wickedness upon them, and will destroy them in their evil. The Lord our God will destroy them.
0: The wicked destroy, they create mischief, they chase after the righteous, and put the innocent to death. They hate what is good. Yet, God is our refuge. He is our defense. He will judge them and will destroy them in His time. Their sins will be repaid in full, and evil will be dealt with permanently. Psalm 95, 11 verses. Again, no title. This is a royalty or enthronement psalm. This psalm calls for the people to acknowledge God as the great king over all gods. He calls them to worship God and warns them not to fall into unbelief. The writer of Hebrews quoted this psalm in Hebrews 4.5 and attributed the psalm to David in Hebrews 4.7. Verses 1 and 2. O come! Let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms.
1: The psalmist calls everyone to praise the Lord with songs, with thanksgiving, and joyful shouts. We are called to celebrate. This is for us too. God here is called the rock of salvation. He's not only our security and our foundation, but he is also the source of our salvation. That is reason to sing and praise. Verses three through five. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods, in whose hand are the depths of the earth, the peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for it was he who made it, and his hands formed the dry land.
0: God is over other gods. The other gods are fake. He is the only true God. The author uses awesome imagery here. God holds within his hands the deepest depths and the highest heights, from the bottom of the sea to the peaks of the mountains. The land and the sea are his because he made them. He owns them. They encompass all that we have on earth. It's all his. Verse 6 and 7a or the first part of verse seven. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hands.
1: Everyone should worship and bow before his presence. He has made us. He's our God. We are sheep under the care of our shepherd who leads and provides. 7b, the end of verse seven through verse 11. Today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah, as in the day of Massa in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me. They tried me, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation, and said they are a people who err in their heart, and they do not know my ways. Therefore, I swore in my anger, truly they shall not enter into my rest.
0: The psalm ends with a strong warning. The call is to continue to believe and to hear the voice of God. We are not allowed apathy or disbelief to infect our hearts and lives. He uses Israel as an example for us. Israel in the wilderness tested God many times, and we'll see those specific testings as we walk through the Bible. But Meribah and Massah are places where Israel tested God. They grumbled against Him from beginning, Exodus 17, to the end, Numbers twenty one to 13 despite the obvious evidence of God's power, and when we go through it, we'll see all the miracles that God did to bring them out of Egypt, all the miracles that God did while he was with them in the wilderness. Despite all that, Israel still complained and greatly sinned all throughout their journey. They were punished with wandering the desert for 40 years. And Why is this important? This passage is quoted in Hebrews 3, 7-11 as a warning to not miss out on the rest of God. Please do not miss God. Do not let unbelief creep into your life. Can you have doubts? Yes. But we struggle through those doubts and we lean towards faith. We have enough evidence. We have enough proof to show that the Bible and Jesus are true. And we'll walk through all those evidences as we progress through the podcasts. There are so many things you can miss in life that don't matter. Do not miss God. Only Jesus can provide the rest that the righteous desire, and he has given it. It is only through his work that we can come to salvation and to ultimate rest.